Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Today, our guest is Eddie Yoon, author of Super Consumers. Eddie, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Uh, and Eddie is from Chicago, and Chicago is my favorite city to go visit. It's gorgeous. Uh, and it's wonderful as long as it's not snowing, right? 100%. It's the tail end of a good season that's coming up. So, Yeah, yeah, that's what I understand. So can you tell us about your professional background? Yes. So I'm a career consultant, uh, meaning that I've never had a real job. Uh, I <laughs> came out of college. And um, one of the first things uh, as I did, as a, I did as a consultant was I, I worked on the merger between Price Waterhouse, Coopers and Librand, and worked on that for 18 months, traveled the world, and then saw that they had to spin out consulting after Sarbanes-Oxley. And I was like, well, that was kind of pointless. And so uh, I moved on to another firm called the Cambridge Group, where I spent 18 years uh, as a growth strategy guy, mostly for um, consumer-facing companies, uh, did a lot of work there. Uh, and then um, I started writing um, for the Harvard Business Review about 2009. And uh, that eventually turned into the book Super Consumers, which we'll talk about uh, in 2016, uh, which allowed me to kind of do what I call a uh, personal IPO. I left the Cambridge Group as a senior partner. Um, mostly because I just wanted to write about whatever I wanted to write about and work with whoever I wanted to work with. And since then, um, I, I still do some consulting and advising. I do much more writing now, especially with um, my uh, Substack uh, Category Pirates, which I'm a co-founder of with Christopher Lockett and Nicholas Cole, where we write about everything and anything and around super consumers and category creation and you know, from Bitcoin to Tesla to... You know, uh, we're writing about uh, no ocean strategy this week, which is, um, you know, our take on the business book Blue Ocean Strategy. So we're, you know, uh, I, I started out as a professional services guy and I became a pirate. That's kind of my story. I, I, I like that. And um, in fact, uh, you, I think you had sent me links to this and I can share those uh, in our newsletter that goes out every, well, a few times a week. So glad to go and do that. So why did you write this book? And of course, I love the title and I like the design of the book. And I don't have the book in front of me right now, but maybe you do. It's, it's a beautiful looking book. This is my book, Super Consumers. Um, you know, it, it, it honestly, it was born out of um, uh, this kind of uh, sense of, how do I say it? Not quite a confessional. <laughs> In that um, I've been doing so much work with um, companies around how do I understand consumers and where the growth is going to come from. And it ended up being, you know, the more you do something, I always say, you're not really an expert until you can explain it simply. And, um, you know, consumers are complicated. Uh, understanding your consumer strategies is, is even more so. But then I, you know, the pattern just kind of happens over and over again. And you're like, this is and can be way simpler than it needs to be. And so it was a little bit of my hack of like, if you don't have the budget to hire a big consulting firm and you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of data, then the simplest thing that you can do is look for somebody who spends a lot and cares a lot about a particular category, not necessarily a brand, um, but the category itself. Somebody who's into not Harley Davidson's, but motorcycles at large. Like that's kind of the interesting, or adventure vehicles might be the other way to describe it, right? And if you can do that, then you can pretty much solve 99% of the business decisions that you have to make, uh, not just around sales and marketing and innovation, but frankly, you can hire the right people. Um, you know, the, one of my former clients, uh, Royal Canin Prescription Pet Food Company, they bring dogs into the interview. You know, if you're, if you're interviewing for an HR job or a finance job, you're not just being measured on your technical competence at what you need to do for your job. They're trying to see if you like the dog and you're paying attention, right? Because that's important. If you don't like the category, then they don't want you there. So, um, so this is kind of my North Star. Like if you end up not without, uh, without a GPS, 
uh, and, and without a compass and you're kind of in the dark as to what to do about your business, then look for these supers and follow them and make every decision that you can around what they um, their quest is. And then you should be in great shape. Please define and explain what is a super consumer and what's a consume, super consumer strategy. Yeah, so uh, that's super. I, I tried to keep it as simple as possible. You spend a lot and you care a lot, uh, more than the average person. Uh, and uh, the more extreme you get, the better, actually. And so what what it uh, with that simple definition, it should make it actually quite easy to figure this out in terms of, you know, so it's not a complicated algorithm. It's not proprietary. Just look for the people who care a lot and spend a lot. And um, they are usually posting about it on social media. They're probably known by their friends and family as, hey, this person's a little bit weird, so to speak, right? Like, don't get them started on hot sauce because they will go on for the next 30 minutes. Like when I would do uh, speeches pre-COVID, um, you know, I'm an introvert. Uh, and so like, I enjoyed the speaking part, but the mingling was always taxing on me. And so, you know, I always say, fellow introverts, if you're in a social setting and you don't want to talk anymore, uh, figure out what that person you're talking to, uh, they are a super consumer of. And they'll, they'll go on for about 45 minutes. You just sit there and listen and rest and the like, right? It's like, that's kind of the whole idea of who a super consumer is. And um, the super consumer strategy is really predicated on the idea that you're not as smart as you are about your business uh, compared to somebody who spends seven to 10 times more than the average on the category itself. And so the CMO of Lufthansa at one point said like, you know, I thought I knew my business and my planes and my airlines really well until you meet somebody who's like, you know, um, I'm a super consumer of, you know, uh, these flights and, uh, you know, you really ought to take the flight on Tuesday from Chicago to Dusseldorf at this particular time because the crew there is actually better than the one that happens on Thursday. Like they know about your category and your business at such an extraordinary level of detail. And um, these are people who, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly. They tend to be articulate and extremely intelligent about how to use the category in atypical ways. And they know where the future is headed because they are the ones who create it. They are the ones who are willing to pay 10x more on average um, uh, if you could actually deliver something that's breakthrough. And so the, the point of this is not to uh, treat them transactionally. That's what um, some people mistake a super consumer strategy to be, which is, hey, um, I'm doing this and you're just telling me to find the most valuable people and sell them. Like that, that's partly it. But what you're really trying to do is enter into a relationship with them and have an ongoing dialogue about where to go next and what, what, what does the future of the category look like? What would need to be true for you to pay 10X more than you pay today or buy 10X more than you buy today? And let me build my company for where the puck is headed, not where the puck is currently. And so that that's the whole premise behind them and that, if you actually follow their guidance and their quest that they're trying to solve for, then you will future-proof your business, but also um, because they are the Pied Pipers of the category, everybody else will follow and there you'll be waiting for them to, as, as the mass market adopts. So you don't have to convert them into being evangelists. There already are evangelists, yes. is that right? Of the category, for sure. Of the, cat of the categories. And how do you get them you know, and I think that's always the great white whale, right, for marketers is how do I get them to be excited about my product in particular? And and we've seen like Steve Jobs was a master at it. I mean, when you think about like the iPod, that was three times as much as the other competitive products. And people were willing to spend, not even blinking an eye, three times as much money and line up like the night before to stand outside to get it. Yes. And, you know, great example. And, you know, there were many MP3 players. They were not the only ones, but Steve Jobs was the first to articulate, hey, it's a thousand songs in your pocket. You know, and that uh, we, we like one of our category pirates newsletters was called uh, language, you know, uh, uh, and, and how to use words strategically to get your point across. So he did not talk about the hard drive space. He did not talk about the technical specs. He said a thousand of your favorite songs in the pocket, wherever you go and whatever you do. And that that's really the idea behind um, how you get a super consumer to be an evangelist for what you make is a function of how well you understand your role in their lives and how your products or services uh, play that role. So for, I'll give you a couple of examples is that 
Um, uh, most people think of consumers um, as a, you know, uh, it's like a, a means to an end. It's, it's like if I, I need to find them and sell them to drive my business. You have to think about consumers like a jigsaw puzzle where the super consumer is at the center. Uh, the category that you play in is one of the corners, but there are actually nine other categories that they buy in conjunction with yours to solve the quest that they're in. Most companies assume they are the center of the jigsaw puzzle. That's the problem. You're a tiny satellite on one of the many planets in the solar system. Like you have to understand that. And once you accept that, you, know, you better be able to assert like, oh, okay, I'm not the star of the movie, uh, but I am a supporting actor. And once you kind of articulate how and why you as a supporting actor makes sense, then the super consumer falls in love with you. So I'll give you an example of, um, you know, uh, iRobot. They make the Roombas and the like. They just came out with a new robot vacuum. Yeah, right. The Roomba is several times more expensive than a traditional vacuum with a fraction of the horsepower that the best vacuum cleaners have. So how is it possible that they've had incredible success and they're going to grow into over a billion dollars in the last you know, five, six years um, was because they understood that the strategy was not, uh, hey, this Roomba will replace your vacuum because that was not believable, but it would augment and complement what you already do. So, uh, so the, the way that the phrase that pays was it doesn't clean for you, it cleans with you. And so it would, took them out of the main star role into a, a supporting actor role, which is incredibly important um, because, you know, uh, somebody, my wife is a cleaning super consumer. We have many, many vacuums and many, many cleaning supplies. And she would not <laughs> find it credible that a robot vacuum would replace everything that she did. Like, and the super consumers of cleaning believe there's no such thing as clean and dirty. Everything is of varying stages of dirtiness and uncleanliness, like, and you never get to clean. And therefore, when I do do a deep clean, I just want to maintain it as long as possible before my husband, Eddie, and our three children and our cats ruin it, even, you know, as quickly as they can, right? And so uh, when you think about the Roomba as it's a maintenance clean, it keeps the clean clean longer, it, you use it as a daily cleaning, then you're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. It, you have properly articulated the role and the value it plays in the portfolio of categories and brands that the super consumer is looking for. And that um, once you do that, consumers get excited. And they're like, oh, I get it. I'm going to buy one. I'm going to buy a second. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to gift these to many more people because I know now how to use this in a way that makes my life incrementally and in some cases exponentially better. And usually that happens when a company can understand you are not the center of their universe, and which is a really, really hard thing for many people to accept. Uh, very interesting, especially the cleaning, because I think my girlfriend definitely relates to that that there's stages of it and hoping that I remember when I walk in to make sure I take my shoes off and don't mess it up yes. after she spent so much time making sure it looks fabulous, which she does a great job of. What percentage of buyers purchase a specific brand because they identify with it? I ask this because I, I don't have such attachments to material things, but I guess I have them for sports teams and my university. Yeah, I mean, so you you have people who identify with, you know, like brands are the primary why they buy. Um, but one of the things that I often talk about, especially uh, with my co-authors in the category pirates thing is that categories make the brand. Brands don't make the category. And so I, I think in general, people, um, there are certain things in certain situations where people have a nostalgic attachment to a brand. Like it is a sports team is a great example, right? And in particular, uh, and, and universities is another good one. Um, these are categories where there's not a whole lot of choice that you can make, right? If, if you have, you know, uh, we were talking about Chicago sports teams, right? It's generally not looked upon well if you're like, I'm a Cubs fan today and I'm a Sox fan tomorrow. That doesn't really work that way, right? You are, you know, you then you become the sports bigamist and nobody believes that you actually know what you're talking about, right? So you're kind of <laughs> stuck with the home team that you're rooting for. Same with, you know, your university that you went to. It's not like, you know, um, cupcakes where you can try 12 different brands and say, oh, I like this one. You went to one university, maybe two, and it's not like you went to a lot of them and not like you can change your attachment to them. Whereas um, in most categories where there are many brands, and he, here's the reality is, 
very few unique non-substitutable brands. In most cases, you know, consumers have a wide variety of choice and they can, you know, look at a lot of different things out there. And so there, you know, this idea of brand loyalty, I, I often think is very, very misguided in that people aren't loyal to brands. They're either on autopilot or they are loyal to the category and that does the best thing for it. And the best example that I can give is, you know, Google is an amazing brand, one of the most valuable brands. Uh, but in particular, they are valuable because they created and dominate the search engine category. You take the brand and you put it on another category where they're not nearly as robust, like say social media. Anyone remember Google Plus, right? That yeah, did right. not go very well, despite the brand being right. extraordinarily powerful and people being very loyal to it. And so this idea of, of um, you know, loyalty, I just think is wishful thinking on most business parts, uh, people's. If you uh, understand, if your category has value, then you will have brand loyalty. If your, your business um, delivers well within a clearly defined role within the category as validated by the super consumer, you will have loyalty, but only for as long as you deliver those things. Yeah, I, I think that makes a, a great amount of sense. I think people way underestimate uh, their own power. And we've seen you know, companies uh, reach uh, go beyond their reach, but Amazon has seemed to do it pretty well in, the, in, in getting into different categories and different businesses. But I guess you're right. They're in a category that's growing rapidly, and then they put their uh, imprimatur on it and see how it runs. But they've also failed too. They created a phone that didn't make it right, and with all the money that they have, and we've have lots of these. Microsoft created a phone, didn't make it. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point. We have a question from the audience. The founder of Patron Tequila advocates that you're not in the selling business, but in the reselling business. How much do you agree with this? And what percentage of sales on average are repeat customers? Oh, so um, I, I very much agree with this. And I would say um, whatever the right percent are repeat customers, I would say it's understated because it's not just repeat cust customers buying repeatedly. It's those same customers recommending to other people to go get Patron. And so, the the the, the simple fact of the matter is, um, you know, this idea that you need to sell to everyone um, largely is a relic of the days when we had three channels to choose from, TV wise, right? Like, you know, when you have you know an infinite amount of competition, like a lot of alcohol businesses do, but a lot of businesses, frankly, do now in this global uh, interconnected world, um, that your job number one is to make sure you have. So, Patron Tequila. What I, here's what I would say is that their business is fundamentally predicated on tequila super consumers, and. Um, they may not be 100% loyal to Patron. They may look at a lot of different brands that are out there, but uh, tequila super consumers say, you know what? Um, these are people who they know the difference between Añejo, Reposado, and Blanco blends. They know what to use for which ones. And the goal is to not just uh, get a tequila super consumer to buy Patron and to repeat with it. It's The goal is to get those supers to find somebody else on the other end of the spectrum who would like to be a tequila super consumer, but is holding a margarita in hand and has no idea how to get from here to there, right? What you're looking for is that super consumer to say, here, let me teach you, let me show you how the category works, start here, move there, and, and et cetera, et cetera, with it. And in that scenario, um, not only, in, in general, the data that I have from my book, which is, uh, uh, you know, thanks to Nielsen, which owned my last consulting firm, um, was that 10% of consumers across 400 plus food and beverage categories generated, you know, uh, 30 to 70% of the revenue, even more when you factor in referrals and recommendations. And that number is even more extreme in non-food and beverage categories. So take digital categories like uh, casual uh, uh, gaming, right? Um, so these are the games like Candy Crush, Words with Friends that people download. They're often freemium, so they're free to play. But if you want to, you know, unlock this and you have to pay more, you can buy some things. In it. Um, if I recall, the last time I checked, it was point. Uh, uh, I think point five percent of consumers who play casual games generated fifty percent of the revenue in the space. Oh, right, because most people play it for free, right? And so yeah. this this whole idea that um, 
uh, you know, uh, supers are extraordinarily valuable uh, economically and strategically. But when you look at the strategic value, it is will often dwarf the directly attributable monetary value that they generate. You rated that super uh, consumers provide significant monetary value. Has that been measured? Like, it, can you say, you know, how much they're actually worth? Because everybody always wants to know, oh, a customer is worth this much in this particular category. H- how, do you, how do you measure that? Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I refer back to the Nielsen data that I talked about, where 10% of consumers generally drive 30 to 70% of the category. But what, what you know, in terms of revenue, but the, the, the real way to look at this is, you know, Tesla as an auto company, or so to speak, quote unquote, auto company is, you know, market cap is almost $800 billion, right? Um, last year, they sold half a million cars. Uh, Toyota has a market cap of $200 billion and you know, they're in the tens of millions of cars. So like, how can this be, right? And so Tesla is the ultimate uh, super consumer strategy because Elon Musk in his master plan that he put out in 06 or 08, right? On his website said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna create an electric sports car, use those monies to, uh, to create an electric luxury car, use that money to create an electric sedan, Use that money, da, 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 right? And, and, and all the while providing, you know, uh, clean energy generation and storage to people. It is perhaps the greatest expression of the super consumer strategy in the sense that, you know, you know, not many people buy sports cars and even fewer buy electric sports cars. But on the backs of those people, they built the luxury car EV market. They built the sedan market. They're going to the uh, cyber truck and trucks next. And, um, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, eventually rumors are that they will create a, a $25,000 electric car and even an $18,000 electric car, in which case, you know, all bets are off as to, you know, a lot of these other incumbent auto manufacturers will probably go bankrupt at that point, right? So <clears throat> how do you value that? You know, hard to say, right? Let, let's say they sold a half million cars uh, last year, and let's say there's, you know, you know a million people with Teslas uh, uh, that exist. You know, in theory, you would say 800 billion divided by a million households that have them, that's the value of a consumer. You know, each one is worth, you know, uh, $800 million, which seems ludicrous until you think about, you know, these supers are the cost of reinventing the sustainable energy generation of the entire world. And then, you know, like $800 billion company if that becomes a multi-trillion dollar company because they're going after not just cars, but you know, uh, solar and, and battery storage, but probably the big one that the people haven't really talked about is uh, the, one of the secret sauces of their cars is their uh, heating, ventilation, and uh, HVAC situation, right? Is that it's much more efficient to heat and, and cool the car uh, with their proprietary system that they developed than it is for conventional cars. You know, um, there's way more energy generation that happens for homes. Uh, I would bet that they are very clearly going to take that HVAC system in the car and put it in a home, in which case the the market grows even bigger. So like on the backs of, you know, a few 10,000 people who are crazy enough to shell out money for the original Tesla Roadster, which is an electric vehicle based in the Lotus, like who would do that? You have to pay for these cars in advance before you ever got it, right? Like these handful of supers have generated what might end up being the most valuable company in the world. So the, how do you put a price tag on that? I mean, that that's, you know, that's my point of the strategic value far exceeds the monetary value that we can estimate and calculate here in the now. Eddie, were you one of those crazy people up on a Tesla? No, 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 no. I'm not a car guy. I, I, I did get one, but uh, I did not get one of the original ones. I, I had to wait for because I have three kids, uh, the Model I with the seven-seater, I'm like, oh, uh, you know, we need enough space to replace the minivan. But of course, now that my kids are all, no one wants to sit in the third row. I'm like, oh, well, that was a waste of money, so. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie, what are you a super consumer of? Yeah, no, so uh, having been born and raised in Hawaii, um, you know, I love going back to Hawaii. I plan to move back. Uh, You know, Chicago is great, great place to raise a family. But once uh, the kids are out of the nest, then, you know, uh, hopefully they'll be uh, in school somewhere closer to there. But uh, my hope is that we'll go back there. But like, 
Um, you know, it, it, and, and, but you know, this gets back to the, probably the biggest aha from my book was a super consumer of one category is a super of nine other categories, meaning that because I love um, uh, uh, being from Hawaii, going back there, that, but I'm, I live, you know, per, you know, most of the time in Chicago, that, well, that means a couple of things. One is I'm a super consumer of t-shirts from Hawaii because, you know, I, my, I have my Aloha shirt on now. And, you know, mm-hmm. when it's the dead of winter in Chicago, I have to find a few things that make me feel better for my homesickness. But because I wear these t-shirts and Aloha shirts, they're short sleeves, they're not particularly warm. So I crank the energy up uh, from my temperature settings. That makes my wife annoyed. So I have to make her coffee in the morning so that she's less annoyed with me. And the coffee is because I'm a morning person, but she's not. So I and make the coffee the way she likes, put it by her bedside. Um, knowing that it'll buy me some brownie points in advance of something stupid that I, I, I'm sure that I will do in the future, right? And so <laughs> one thing leads to another, which leads to another. And the point being is to really unlock um, the true value of what a super consumer is, you have to understand the eight or nine other things that they are also a super consumer in. And the most legendary businesses figure out the 10th thing uh, that they are not yet super in because that category has not been created. And creating new categories is by far and away the single greatest growth strategy that exists out there. How can super consumers help with innovation? Because they've got a lot of insights. I mean, I think that's probably where a lot of the innovation comes from, right? It is from the consumer. Yeah, no, I mean, probably the, the greatest innovation strategy is what I just described of you know, um, so take my example, like, you know, I, I, I'm a super of Hawaii. We, we, we go there a few times a year. We've spent a lot of time down there. Um, I buy my, my, my Hawaii t-shirts and Aloha shirts, which leads my, to my overextended electric bill, which leads to my coffee, which leads to, well, what is it that I would buy that would solve for all my needs there? Right. And so that's when, you know, not this is not the origin story of Airbnb, but it's like, oh, well, you know, fractional living or living where you want to live, you know, could be a solution for somebody who lives in one place but is homesick for another, right? Um, uh, so that that that's probably the single greatest innovation strategy. And like, probably, I would back up on the innovation one is um, most people think of innovation in a pretty myopic lens of like it's a new product or a new service. I think of innovation as um, yes, it's that, but um, you can also innovate the business model in a totally different way. And you can innovate uh, the data that you throw off that can help you figure out what next to generate from a product and a business model perspective. So if you think about it in those three ways, then you know a super consumer can you know absolutely help you figure out, you know you ask the crazy question. If I asked you mark a question of like, what needs to be true for you to pay 10 times more? Uh, for a category you could care less of, you're going to say, who cares, right? And, and in fact, when you ask most consumers questions, like, what do you want? They always say, make it cheaper. That's the evidence you're not talking to a super consumer. A super consumer would gladly pay more to get more and more from a product, more from a business model, more from the data that you create. I wonder how many people are like that though, because I'm, I think to myself, I, I don't know that I'm excited about, that excited about anything that I would answer it in the way you just asked the question. Well, what are but some of the things? There are. Yeah, no, 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 it's a, it's a great question. So um, so not everybody is a super consumer of every category, but everybody is a super consumer of something. So I'll play this game with you, uh, Mark, is um, are there things that, you know, your, your, your girlfriend or other people would say, yeah, you know, don't go there with Mark. He spends an unusually insane amount of money or time in X, Y, and Z. Is there something that comes to mind there? Yeah, I mean, my girlfriend is a great musician and went to Juilliard. And so if you talk about um, the musicals, you're off to the races yeah. you know, with her about musicals. And I guess, you know, and she'll say this the other day, she uh, said to me, how can you talk so much about Ben Simmons, you know, who wants to leave the Sixers? And of course, I'm a diehard Sixers fan and I can pretty much go on. Uh, forever articulating about what is wrong with this guy. He's got a great setup here and so forth. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, I can go off on those things. So then, so, so here's the question is what would you pay for the advanced feed when, you know, Woj drops an NBA Woj bomb and tells, you know, that you get it first. This is where Simmons is headed, right? I mean, what would you pay for a 
five minute, hey, Ben, can I make the case to stay? You know, it's not about you. Oh, you know, yeah. If you only saw the world the way that I saw it, right? Um, What would you pay to have five minutes with Daryl Morey to be like, hey, I know um, the process was one of your disciples, but like, please, Lord, let's not do this again. Like, or not, not in the same way, right? Don't just pick the best talent. Pick somebody who is not going to have a mental block to pass up a dunk in a playoff game and is not going to think like, you know, he is the next coming of Michael Jordan. And hey, do your job, man. Like, let's actually win something before you start to say, I need my own team. Like, what would you pay for all of those things, right? Like, a lot of this is just the ability to connect and have empathy, to hear what somebody else is saying, find the thread and then pull on it and see where it goes. Because any of those things, I imagine, you know, you'd be kind of interested in, right? Without, you know, as you're saying, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd pay a lot. I'd probably pay them a nice chunk of change for me to be able to get that five minutes and talk some sense into this guy. And right now, I think you are missing your opportunity to have your own sports show um, (laughs) because that was a good analysis of the whole situation. Uh, with Ben Simmons. Well, you know, it, it's funny, like, you just don't know what people are supers of. And, you know, and what we are doing, right, like, I love the NBA, is there's nothing greater than for a super consumer to geek out with another super consumer, right? That That's their great joy is, oh, we can both geek out over something that we really enjoy. Like my, you know, uh, your, your girlfriend, if I connected her with one of my other friends, with Ju- like Juilliard, they would geek out over musicals and, you know, music and this and that, right? But the, the crucial thing for every business that needs to do is how do you create scenarios? You know, podcasts are a great scenario. You know, other social media is a great scenario where two supers are geeking out about the category, but in a way that non-supers can eavesdrop on it, right? Because not every, so here's the, I always call this the green eggs and ham challenge, right? Is what a super consumer's unique superpower is to find somebody who is like, you know, the Dr. Seuss book. I will not eat these eggs on a plane. I will not eat them on a train. I will not eat them semi-am. Like I, you cannot like pick a sports fan, right? Or a non-sports fan. Like who cares about the, the NBA? Who cares about the 76ers, right? And what a super consumer should be able to do is figure out a scenario in which both can be engaged in the same topic and be willing to pay money for it. So I'll give you an example, right? Um, who knows where this Ben Simmons thing ends up? Um, what would you pay to have a seat at the next Philadelphia 76ers game for whenever, wherever Ben Simmons go, his first home game back? What would you pay for that? I have two children. I'm going to give you one of them. Okay, fair enough. Okay, good. Right? You take, you take somebody um, who may not normally want to give up a child for an NBA game, right? But you say, <laughs> let me explain the scenario to you. This guy, you know, you know, you, you, you can, whatever, like mental block is his backstory, number one pick and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you don't need to know that. He is coming back. And the, if you ever wanted to experience, like we've been in COVID, hopefully everybody's vaccinated, but you go to the 76er uh, stadium. Have you ever experienced the vitriol that the crowd will have towards like the energy like you will never have another in-person experience kind of like this again. I don't care if you have no idea how the game of basketball works, you will find that entertaining, right? And you can drag a oh, non-NBA yeah. fan of that. And just because it's drama at the end of the day. If you're not a fan of an NBA, you might be a fan of drama. And you know, so but that that whole scenario is like all you really need to do is think of like, you know, uh, 76ers have no idea where he's gonna go. And they have no idea what that game would be. But you can say, I want in. Here's here's a deposit. Take my money or whatever that is. Put me at the front of the line. Eddie, when you, if you come to Philadelphia, you and I are going to a game because I have to oh, go to a basketball game with you. I'll, I'll supply the tickets. No problem with that. So we have a question from the audience. How do you find super consumers that need your 10th category, a new space that is created or grown? Yeah, that, that great question. That's the ultimate is where we want to get to. And it, it's not easy. It's not easy. I will tell you that now. Um, but it is perhaps the most lucrative thing that you could do for your business. And so it's worthwhile. And so but the way that you do it, right, is, you know, you find the super consumer first. And 
the next question is, you know, you ask them, what was your origin story, right? So uh, Disney has made billions of dollars after buying Marvel for $4 billion, telling superhero origin stories it is what they've done, right? And they keep doing it over and over again. And it's a really successful playbook. Um, your goal is to get the super to say, um, hey, I wasn't super always. How did you enter the category? How did you buy more? And at what point did you become an evangelist for the category? Like understanding that origin story is really, really critically important. Um, second, third question is, what are the other things that you're super of? And some of that can be just anecdotal and a dialogue. Some of it can be um, crossing uh, interesting disparate sense of data, right? So in the book I write about, if you are a vitamin super consumer, you're probably overinsured with life insurance, right? <laughs> because the same thing is it's the same benefit. You're trying to buy protection from an unknown thing in the future, and you don't care if it's a waste of money right now. And so crossing data sets, you know, constructing new data sets, um, I've used... Uh, there's there are credit card data sets that are out there where you can see, hey, I spend a lot on this. What else do I spend a lot on? So there, there's a, a wide variety of ways, but you don't really need fancy data. You just need to be a good, um, you know, uh, conversationalist to have that. And then when you look at the thread, you know, of you know, so take take vitamins, uh, uh, life insurance, um, standby electric generators, um, having two, three, four refrigerators and freezers. They're all the same thing. These are the people who are prepped for COVID before we knew COVID was coming, like, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you are a super of protection, then it becomes a little bit easier. Now, now you have a lead for what that category might look like. Well, what other things might look like there? And then um, the last step that you have is take a look at the other um, nine categories that they're super in and figure out, is there a mashup? Can I combine one category with another? And you know, there, there I go, right? Um, can I, um, is there uh, this protection benefit? Where else do they spend a lot of money in that they don't have um, you know, a particular ability to protect themselves? Can I offer that benefit, right? So it's a little bit like you, you, you know who they are, you know their origin story, you know the other nine things that they're super in, you find the common thread, can I mash up one of the nine into like, so the number one confection uh, in all of America is the Reese's peanut butter cup, right? Peanut butter is a uniquely American uh, palate, but you know, uh, how do you find the Reese's peanut butter cup? I take category eight and I take category three and voila, I have my Reese's peanut butter cup category or um, even better, they're looking for protection. What are the other things in their life that they do not yet have protection from and how can I solve for it that way? Like that's kind of the process of how you would do it. Does the first super, and this is a question from the audience, does the first super consumer just come by luck? Luck is always great. You know, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> I, I would say it, it comes from um, having the scales fall from your eyes and the earplugs from your ears, right? Because what I'll tell you is that the supers are far more prevalent than you realize. And so I, I did a bunch of work for Smithfield back in the day. And, you know, they had the big bacon business and whatnot. They had their greatest bacon super consumer worked in uh, accounts payable. Uh, dude was rail thin, ate three pounds of bacon a week. You know, it, it was none for the worst. Way. I, I don't know if he's still rail thin or still eats three pounds of bacon or not, but like he was an incredible, extraordinary bacon super consumer. And um, when they were launching new products, he was the best person to talk to, right? He was like, should I remove the zipper from the packet? No, because, uh, you know, or actually, yes, remove it because I don't use the zipper. I make them all at the same time, right? Or, or, you know, do I care about this flavor? I don't really care. How much would you pay for this and that? Like, um, I think more often than not, the company that you work for, you will find supers that are there that you just didn't realize. They may or may not be senior. They may or may not be in a customer-facing role. But you just got to ask, right? You know, figure out who they are in the company. They're among your friends and family. And frankly, if you look on social media, the, the digital breadcrumbs that supers leave are all over the place. Somebody who is a super consumer of staplers, like, you know, are probably the most likely to put something on Facebook or Twitter. Hey, my stapler did this or that, right? Like, look for the things that people do unusually on social media. Um, and you're probably going to find a super because how you spend your time and your quote reputation by putting stuff out there is also a telltale sign of super consumers. 
Another question from the audience. I'm a super consumer of Amazon and Costco. And uh, in no small part uh, that I like the generous return policy, though I'm very rarely need to return anything. Does this significantly factor in a super consumer's decision of where to buy? Yes, uh, 100%. And the, the key word in all of that is generosity, or generous return policies. It's not about the return policy. It's about generosity. And um, the, the greatest thing that you can do for a super consumer is to, um, uh, after, I don't judge you. Like, you're not weird. You're just different. You do, what can I learn from you? But, but how can I be generous to a super consumer, right? If you are generous to an average consumer, that's a waste of money and time. Right, because somebody who doesn't care about the category and you give them something, they're gonna be like, thank you very much, never see you again. But a super consumer is locked in, is married to the category and was gonna care deeply about you know, what the, the, what's next in the category for the next 10, 20, 30 years or whatever it might be. And so um, how can you figure out how to be generous? So I'll give you an example of, um, I did a lot of work with Keurig back in the day. And um, one of the things that they did in 2011 was uh, this whole thing about uh, the My K-Cup. I you remember this. It was a reusable K-Cup. It was a big controversy, right? Because Keurig made money on K-Cups, the ones that they mm -hmm. sold, not the reusable ones, which seemed antithetical to the business, just like having a generous return policy is antithetical to a retailer. But what they found was that, um, you know, it was the right thing to do. It signaled, hey, uh, you buy into the ecosystem. I'm not going to trap you, number one. So it was a sign of generosity. Number two, um, you know, I always say, never underestimate the profit potential off the laziness of the American consumer, right? So you buy the My K-Cup, you use it once, you're like, that was great, but it's a little bit of a hassle. I just go back to the convenient mm -hmm. thing, right? So most people would buy it and take it as a sign of trust, and then they would never use it again, right? And then thirdly, uh, the My K-Cup was a high margin product. So it was like, oh, great. So I'm selling you a high margin product to make you feel like you can trust me for something that you were unlikely to use. And so that was an extraordinarily uh, strategic act of generosity towards a super consumer who would enter into the system. Um, but, you know, if you can figure out those things, then, it, you know, it, 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 these high leverage moments where your CFO will likely say, why are you doing this? This is insane, right? Um, but if you understand the, the economics of the super consumer, then you can know better. I got, I'll give you one more story on this one. Is when when um, uh, Samsung and Sony were first launching their big flat screen TVs, like you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, you know, a lot of consumers were coming in, but you know, it wasn't really well understood. Um, the you know, it's related to the return policy for retailers. Uh, but you know, the Best Buys of the world would say you know, oh my goodness, like somebody buys a TV and returns it, it's the kiss of death, right? Because you have to, restocking has a huge cost. And, you know, I'd almost rather not sell the TV and get a return. Uh, and so what, uh, they, we there, there was a whole strategy around the wedding ring test, right? Which was, hey, um, blue shirts at Best Buy, a uh, random guy comes in and says, I want a TV. You look for a wedding ring. Why do you look for a wedding ring? You say, Okay, you know, hey, Mark, I'd be glad to help you. I, I noticed you have a wedding ring. Does your wife know that you're here? Uh -huh. That was a question that they would ask, right? And like, you know, I'd be yeah, like, of course. why are you asking me? I'm the man in my house. I can do whatever I want to do. And, that. It was like, and, and they were trying to say, you know what, sir, I would love to sell you a TV, but trust me, you need to go back home and talk to your significant other. And I, I won't sell you the TV until you do that. And then you leave in a half and be upset. And would often, more often than not, come back with a significant other and be like, you were right. You know, I talked to the, 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 my, my partner and whatever. And it was like, yeah, okay, that, now that we see it, we'll take two. Because she sees how much space it'll take, but, you know, she's engaged. You avoid the bad sale. You actually sell more as a result. But this is the kind of strategy, like strategic generosity can be the greatest thing that you can do as long as you do it for a super consumer in the right context while the CFO and the CMO is kind of looking at it from the same vantage point. Um, you write about data sets that uh, data sets are purely motivational or emotional. How do you know that? And what do you, what do you gather from that? Yeah, so, um, you know, most company, um, companies have just economic data, right? It's like, I bought, I didn't yeah. buy, right? 
Uh, right. Emotional data is extraordinarily predictive, and most companies don't have that. And uh, but you know there are ways to identify it. So you're looking for you know you're not going to get somebody to spill their beans about like you know how do I feel about the 76ers or Ben Simmons and like there. But um, what you are looking for are signs of like um, uh, gifting is a great telltale sign of a trend economic transaction that has a great deal of emotion. So I go back, you know, uh, to this idea of, um, you know, part of the, you know, um, the robot vacuum cleaners, you know, a lot of them were gifted. A lot of the Keurigs were gifted, right? Um, and that's a telltale sign of a super consumer, right? It's one thing, you know, actually most business books, right? The people who are the super consumers of the book, super consumer, are the people who buy them in bulk and hand them out to their friends or to their businesses and the like, right? Because a gift signifies not only am I a fan of this, I am so deeply a fan of this, and I so understand the value that it contributed to my life that I am not going to stop harassing you, Mark, until you get this too. And if you're not going to get it, I will get it for you because it changed my life, it can change yours too, right? And so most companies don't track whether a transaction was a gift or not. But gifting is heavily laden with, it, it's pregnant with emotion. And just by tracking, are you buying it for yourself? You're buying it for somebody else, right? Is an extraordinary data set. So most people um, you know, would love to get this emotional uh, data. Uh, they, they don't know where to look. Um, and you're not looking for some magic treasure trove of data that you can buy. It's oftentimes just recategorizing the data that you have now into a different way and understanding empathetically, it's predictive of uh, these emotions. What marketing strategies and tactics work best for attracting existing and potential super consumers? Yeah, so uh, the generosity actually, uh, it's not traditional marketing. It's uh, traditional marketing, I kind of tend to put into the bucket of, it's me shouting at consumers and buyers. Like, you know, kind of a one-way conversation uh, with a megaphone, that's what TV would be and whatnot. And, you know, it doesn't really work, right? Most people, if you're married or you have a partner, like you didn't really get there just by shouting at them. You had a dialogue with them. You built a relationship with them. You understood that you listened more than you spoke, more often than not, right? And so um, anything that shows I want a relationship uh, and I don't want a transaction is a meaningful thing. Uh, Things like um, not just what you sell, but how you sell them. So hence the generosity of the... um, uh, return policies at Amazon and Costco are a great one. Uh, I'll use another Costco example: is the Costco sample is a great, great marketing vehicle, right? It's you know when you know pre-COVID when you could get a sample of something. These were companies that generally were like, I am fairly very confident that m- w- this pie that I have made is delicious. You don't know it because you haven't tried it. So here's a small sample. You put it in your mouth. You try it, right? And you know it's it's an expensive strategy, but oftentimes when you are strategically generous and you give, you know, not give away the store, but give away a bite-sized quote-unquote sample, um, that is so much more superior than ten Super Bowl ads of you shouting at people, right? Shouting doesn't work. Sampling works. Uh, transactional behavior doesn't work. Relationships work. Uh, a marketing strategy is far less about you telling consumers, it's much more about you listening to consumers. And the very best marketing strategy that you can do is not by saying anything, it's by uh, getting other people, other super consumers to evangelize to other potential supers on your behalf. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, that's what you're always trying to do, even this podcast, I hope that other people who listen actually tell other people about it in order for us to have a good audience. So very brave people like you can um, give them the benefit of your time. I remember I had somebody on the show once, and I thought this was really interesting. He, um, he uh, writes about, uh, he's the head of the AI lab at MIT. And he said, can you imagine that you can get 1,000 hours of my time for $25? I never really thought about that before. And I've written six books myself, but you're getting a thousand hours of my time, not to mention the people I've spoken to for $25. But yet, if I wanted you, you wanted to hire me, 
you'd be more than willing to spend $100,000 for the same thing. So I thought that's pretty interesting uh, way of looking at it. Uh, a question for the audience, how or where would you find learning consumers, learning in quotes, people who always want to acquire knowledge and maybe want to be the smartest person in the room? How would you acquire learning consumers? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, at, at some level, every super consumer is a curious one, right? Because every super consumer, um, what they, in the same way that your girlfriend and my wife is like, no such thing as clean and dirty. It's just different stages of dirtiness. Um, a super consumer is someone who is constantly on the search for what's new, what's different. You know, nothing better than for two, you know, Philadelphia 76ers nerds to geek out about what do you know that I don't know, right? And yeah. um, learning is a critically important sign of uh, a super consumer. Because like, you know, most people like you, you might buy a lot of something, but if you don't want to learn anything about it, then you don't really care about it, right? And in my, my um, consulting business, what's interesting is that my very best clients that I've worked with, um, you know, we, I, I realized, you know, oh, probably too late, we have the same Myers-Briggs type. We're all INTJs. And um, they are um, strategy super consumers. They love learning about what else I'm working on, not just their own business, right? They love reading the things that I write about. They're, these are people who, you know, have been with me for years and have been loyal and fantastic clients, but really it's not me that they're loyal to. They love learning. They're loyal to their curiosity and anybody who can inform, you know, all these little pearls of wisdom of like, oh, how do you do X, Y, and Z? How do they do it? And this and that with it. And so this idea of, um, I, I think learning is such a great question is, you know, um, if you, curiosity is a single greatest hook to get a super consumer to reveal themselves. And it's the single greatest thing to uh, separate and segregate out people who are not supers because they're like, hey, stop talking to me. Just give me what I want so I can get out of here, right? In the book, you mentioned how super consumers can influence three other groups, potential super consumers, autopilots, and uninvolved consumers. How do they do this? And is there a process, a, is there a process companies should follow to succeed in converting these groups? Yeah, so I, I think I talk about a framework in the book around I think, fuel, yeah. right? The find, understand, empathize, and lean in. And that, the, you know, part of the, my, my hope is to keep this so simple, right? Somebody who buys a lot and cares a lot. So what you're looking for is, hey, within the subset of people who buy a lot, why don't you care? Why don't you care more? Is, is there something that you just didn't realize that you, you know, might be interested in? But that's not, you know, those people are not the, the real interesting part. That's where a lot of companies go. It's like, oh, they bought a lot. So what, let's do more of that. I actually like the people who care a lot, but aren't yet buying a lot, right? So, you know, uh, go back to the Tesla one. Uh, there are so many people in the Tesla tribe that do not yet have a Tesla. And that's the ultimate thing that you're looking for is, you know, emotion is far more valuable than economics because economics can be transitory. Emotional engagement in a category, like you might be interested in one brand and not so much like, you know, somebody's, you know, we'll go back to the car thing. I, I'm into Porsches. I'm into Mercedes. I'm into Hondas, whatever. Like brand loyalty comes and goes, but somebody who is a car geek is going to be a car geek for the duration. And they probably raise more car geeks and the like and stuff, right? And so um, what you're looking for is, you know, people who are uh, nerds and geeks and, you know, strange weirdos of the category who are not yet buying. Those are the greatest people to figure out. And a super consumer can say, you know what? Um, you may not be in a position to buy a Tesla, but you can rent one on Turo. You can have a great time doing it that way. Or, you know, um, you know, th th this is one of the great things that'll be interesting was like, you know, um, a lot of people are migrating away from the linear life progression of I buy a house and I buy you know, two and a half cars or whatever and two and a half kids and dogs and this and that. It's going to be a lot more uh, uh, you know, creative and just different. But you might get a couple of friends to say, let's all buy a Tesla together. And can you do it that way in a way that's really different, right? So the, the, the potential super is somebody who cares deeply, deeply about the category, but is not yet buying. 
figure out why and are there barriers that you can remove or innovations that you can create to help them get into the category. Um, and that's, that's pro, you know, again, the, the tequila super consumer, the, the tequila super wannabe, the margarita holder, teach him or her how to drink tequila and then you'll be off to the races. You know, it, it makes me think also, look at um, the Grateful Dead. Those are the biggest yeah. super consumers. I mean, I know people who go like 20, 30 of their concerts in a year, not like one every few years and they're deadheads, right? Yep. And and for some reason, I mean, their music doesn't resonate with me, but there's a significant group of people that will spend any amount of money and travel all over just to follow these guys. Great example. And, you know, what? what's, I, I will tell you, one of my other sayings is deadheads beget deadheads. There has never been a deadhead who was born a deadhead. Somebody converted them to be a deadhead. A deadhead will convert more people. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just one of these robot vacuums beget robot vacuums, curates beget curates. And so if you understand how categories evolve and the role that supers play in them, then you now then you'll understand what you need to do and how do you, you know, kind of make the greatest strategy with them. So an audience question is, should a startup find product market fit before searching for super consumers? Can they even search for a super consumer? I mean, doesn't a super consumer find them? Uh, so, uh, yes. so answer their question yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, should yeah, yeah, the yeah. startup so find? I, yeah. I would find a super first. Uh, product market fit. Um, one of the great yet dangerous idioms in 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 the entrepreneurial startup land because. Product market fit, by definition, is does my product fit the way the market is defined today? Uh, what a super consumer does is future market fit. That's really what you're looking for, right? You don't want to fit to the market as is because somebody else is winning and you know, uh, great innovations come from where the market is going, not where it is today. What a super consumer is, is actually this idea of you know, you have this lifelong quest. That's why you're in the category. Where do you want to go with it? What will you pay more? What will you double down for? This and that. Uh, future market fit is far, far more valuable and superior than current product market fit. An average consumer can get your product market fit. Only a super consumer can help you find future market fit. You know, we are, are slowly running, quickly running out of time. And I've got to tell you, I've so enjoyed this. I wish I had you on for a couple of hours. Uh, last question here. How long should a startup plan to develop a super consumer group? I mean, how long does that take? Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it, I don't think it can take very long because you only need one or two uh, really good ones to get you going with it. You know, you, most startups have a, you know, you have a board of advisors, board of directors. You kind of need a board of super consumers to really, really help you out. They'll add the most value. And uh, the greatest uh, companies, um, you know, again, Tesla, the world's most valuable car company, I suspect soon to be one of the world's most valuable companies, period. They're full self-driving, started with 2,000 people, right? It, you have to be a super consumer. They let you have it. And then I don't know if you've seen, they started this um, uh, safety score, right? So, you know, we, you pay for um, the full self-driving software. But you can't get it unless you get a high safety score. So they're altering the way people drive and the like. So um, finding the super consumer is actually a never-ending journey. It should never stop. You should always be looking to it. But the good news is that it can happen really, really quickly. Um, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Find a couple of good ones, augment, you know, tweak them out, but this you don't have to make it super complicated. You just need a couple that you have on text thread and you know, Bob's your uncle. Eddie, I think any of us could just sit here and listen to you all day long. <laughs> Do you have a podcast yourself? No, but um, probably the best way to hear uh, my thinking is um, uh, this category pirate subsec. And actually, Mark, I'll offer if any one of your uh, listeners wants to reach out, I'd be glad to hook them up with a, a free trial just to get it. Is that just send me, me an email at eddie at eddiewoodgrow.net um, or find me on Twitter with the same eddiewoodgrow.handle. Happy to do that. So if you could resend me the link again today, yeah. and I will be getting out the video later today to everybody. 
but I'll make sure that gets out to everyone and we'll add it to our newsletter and it'll be seen every single week, a few times a week. Perfect. That'd be great. Eddie, thank you so much for taking the time. Everybody, thank you for joining us today. And you were just a pleasure to listen to. Oh, thank you for having me on, Mark. I hope it was and, helpful. And remember, you got to come to Philly, so we'll catch a basketball yeah, game yeah, we'll together. See what, I want to see where the saga ends, and maybe I'll join you for that game when Simmons comes back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah, when he comes back. We don't want him back now. Have a good rest of your day. All righty. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.